Hey guys, this is Mel, co-host of the Sankofa Book Club. As you know, we are a book club with a focus on African literature, but we don't do meetups yet. All our interaction is online, so do follow us at the Sankofa BC on Twitter, the Sankofa.bc on Instagram, Facebook.com forward slash the Sankofa BC, Goodreads.com forward slash the Sankofa BC. We've also started sending out a newsletter every two or so weeks, so visit the website, the Sankofabookclub.com, click on get involved, and you can sign up right there. Let's go. Hey guys, my name's Aquia. And I am Mel. Welcome to the Sunk of a Book Club. Cheers. <laughs> so that voice you hear <laughs> is our guest for today. Please may I introduce to you, poet extraordinaire. You would have seen him on TV on a regular basis, <laughs> if not at his, um, you know, regular performances across the country, soon to be across the globe, because we know he has plans to buy houses all over the world. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Sugar J the Poet. Hey. I <laughs> know oh, earlier on we were talking about how you, you want to phase out Sugar J the Poet, so it was in the middle of your actual name. Introduce yourself. Introduce um, yourself. <laughs> hello, my name is Jeremiah Sugar J Brown. Uh-huh. Yeah. Jeremiah Sugar J Brown. Tell us tell us about yourself. What brings you here today? Um I'm I'm here because you asked me to be here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love how I'm because you said so, Aquia. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm I'm a poet um, from Croydon. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a poet. I, I write, um, done lots of writing and poetry stuff. Um, and you guys asked, you were like, oh, hey, would you like to be on this podcast? It's like a book club. I was like, oh, yeah, cool. That sounds cool. Um, and then you told me you were reading Born a Crime. Oh, am I meant to say That's that? okay. Oh, okay, they know. Cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. Then I, yeah, you said, yo, yeah, we're reading Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. And I was like, oh, my friend had just told me to, like, download the Audible for it. And I was like, yeah, 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 maybe. I don't know if I do, like, listening to books. And then I was like, oh, okay. I, I will read this book for a, for a book club. This sounds fun. So Amazing. So I saw Sugar J on TV. And I was like, who is this black spoken word artist? I don't know. <laughs> so then I found him. Then I went to Vocals and Verses anniversary show. And ah, he performed there. Ah. Okay. And he said, she music inspires. I've not been stalking him. Oh, my God. I've not been stalking him. But he said, reading inspires me. I was like, mm, sucks for book club be like. <laughs> so, yeah, it's great to have you here. Welcome. So, as you mentioned, today we're discussing Born a Crime by yeah. Trevor Noah, um, comedian extraordinaire. How's everyone doing? How are we all feeling? Yeah. It's warm today in London. Very Kel nice. Surprise. Miraculous. Can I just say how I got into trouble because of this book? Ooh. Okay. So, yesterday, on my way home, I was reading on the at the bus stop, right? And this guy, smelly looking, his hair... <laughs> how can like, smelly looking? His hair, he had like a mini afro, but it was so unleveled, he hadn't combed it. And you know when your shirt, when you have like food stains and you try and oh, wipe it with tissue and then you get the tissue debris? Ooh, that's okay. what, that's the kind of zhuzh that he was rocking on his shirt. <laughs> and so like he was approaching me and Aquia knows, I like, I like talking to strangers. I find fault? it so funny. I find it really amusing. And I'm open to just learning more about different types of people. So I was like, here we go. When I saw him, so my guy sits next to me and he's like, where are you from? 
Now, normally when people ask me that question to avoid step two of, oh no, I didn't mean London, I mean, where are you from from? I say, I said to him, do you mean where do I live? Or where am I from ancestrally, you know? And then my guy says, you're reading a book. And I looked at him and I was like, are you angry? <laughs> because I was confused. And he was like, you're reading a book. And I was like, yeah, that's true. But I mean, do you mean where do I live or where I'm from? I'm, I'm so confused. And he was like, be intelligent. Bearing in mind, this guy doesn't know my background. I've been reading books for time. So I think I am intelligent. But anyway, it got to a point where, again, he was insulting me, saying, you're reading a book, like, wise up. And I told him, we need to leave this conversation as it is. And this is all because of you, Trevor Noah, <laughs> with your book. You got me into trouble somehow. And, like, when I went home and I told my sister about it, she was like, Mel, you need to be careful of acid Thank attacks. You. And I was like, it's true. I'm glad that I've handled it well because... Lord knows, but... Forget acid attacks. You need to stop talking to strangers. <laughs> but I've I like been doing them. this from, like, oh, she, every time. She's always giving me some story or other about a weirdo who's approached her. I find And she's amusing. engaged. Like, I why? Amusing. I do. I don't blame Trevor. No, it's I not because I'm desperate, guys. Because <laughs> you guys know I'm single, but... <laughs> but, but I find them amusing. Mm. So, so it was an insult. Mm. He was in... I don't understand. He was like what? trying to chirp me and then he realised, no, this girl I'm chirping in is dumb because she's reading a book and asking me. But when, why, I, why is, when did reading a book become the signifier that you were stupid? Mate. The Be ultimate problem here is that Mel engages with crazy people. From when, he <laughs> when, he, mean... when he described what was on his shirt, at that point, she said, abort, abort Like, we're not having a conversation. These are people you need to be talking to. I'm going to start um, evaluating my standards to how I engage with, like, strangers. Thank you. And not just let anyone talk to me. I never want to do this by myself. Okay. So please. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm <laughs> <laughs> You're better than that. I'm, yeah, I'm still just trying to process when books became the signifier that you were stupid. <laughs> that's a generation I don't want to be a part of. <laughs> All right then, Born a Crime. Yeah. All right, let's go into the synopsis, guys. So, Born a Crime is an autobiographical book of Trevor Noah in and his life in South Africa. It begins without outlining the absurdities of apartheid, where Trevor's existence was considered as an act of rebellion because his black South African mother had conceived him with a white Swiss German man. When Trevor was six years old, Mandela was freed from prison, and at that time, which was like the hallmarks of apartheid dying out, um, we read of um, Trevor's childhood and also like other themes of his him growing up as like a teenage guy and the perpetual influences of apartheid for black South Africans at that time. Um, Trevor writes of his experiences while adding a comedic flair. To name only a few we read about, his inability to walk beside his parents in public, um, pirated CD and DJing business, and being mistaken as white by security staff. As unique as Trevor's upbringing was, as a mixed-race boy, he was just as awkward with girls as any teenage boy and the challenging pursuit of one's dream. So throughout the book, it is clear that Trevor plays, pays homage sorry, to the women in his life, especially his mother, who have contributed to his successes. His story illustrates that in spite of life's hardships, the fight for survival can take anyone from their humble beginnings to greatness. To date... Trevor is recognised as the most successful comedian in Africa and he is the host of The Daily Show. 
Yay, Trevor. <laughs> so just to give you guys a context of um, South Africa, but you, you probably know what was happening there. But we'll begin with before the apartheid was even introduced. So the Dutch and the English um, were already in South Africa from the 17th century, and um, their presence there was really so that they could challenge um, the Portuguese people that were already there trying to create trading networks with Asia. And it was in 1948 that the National Party came into power under Dutch and British colonial rule and put in place apartheid leg legislation which sought to segregate and discriminate people on the grounds of race. By 1950, the government had banned marriages, marriages and sexual relations between black South Africans and people of other races, but particularly white South Africans. In 1990, the National Party government took the first steps towards dismantling discrimination when it lifted the ban on the ANC, African National Congress, and other political organizations. Nelson Mandela was also released from prison after 27 years, serving a sentence for sabotage. After his release, a negotiation process followed that repealed the apartheid legislation. In 1994, South Africa held its first universal elections, which the ANC won by an overwhelming majority. Since then, the ANC have remained in power. Yeah. So since the apartheid was annulled, um, there's still an unequal distribution of wealth. So poverty and unemployment in South Africa is still largely experienced by the black population, despite many ANC policies that are aimed at improving these statistics. So a shit for them still, basically. Yeah. But I saw this documentary with, um, uh, what's his name, that buff ting from BBC, Reggie Yates. <laughs> And, um, I'm so he, mad that I knew exactly who you were did talking you? about. As soon as he I said it. <laughs> and um, he was in South Africa and he was like documenting um, these white South Africans that, that were talking about hardships and, and they did live in like terrible conditions. Like they had tents. It was like this mini. What, did they do a swap scene? <laughs> maybe. It was this um, community where you would have like tents where they would live and they were living off like handouts. So there are some white South Africans that are struggling, but. Largely, it's the black South Africans that mm -hmm. are going through a lot still. But yeah, what did you guys think of the book? I really enjoyed it. I loved it. And I think, um, I, th I actually think there's something that makes black people jokes. Like, we're just funny people. So when I was reading the book, I'm like, how is this guy talking about how he's a living crime and mm. making me cry with laughter? Like, mm. I'm not as, I was not as focused on the negativity of the situation. Mm. I was just like, Trevor Noah's a joker. Oh, I love Trevor Noah. I was just, I was just really enjoying it. There was, the, I mean, yeah, I really enjoyed the book. It was a really good story to hear mm. because it was actually quite unique. He's an enigma in his society. Mm. And he has a, I think, South Africans have a unique story to tell anyways because apartheid is savage. Mm. Um, so for him to even be unique in that unique situation, he's a gem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Cool. What about you? Um, yeah, I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Um, kind of playing off that, the balance in the book is really quite imp incredible. So you've got um, the humour, it's just mm. there, but it's a book that, so you're reading it, you're learning a lot. So I, Obviously, you know about apartheid, and you, you kind of you get it, and you know Nelson Mandela, and you know that like they were segregated, and mm. like apartheid stopped, and whatever, and blah de blah de blah. Like you have that kind of basic knowledge, mm. um, but like reading the book, you actually get an understanding of so much more, and just how it how it was actually growing up 
sort of after apartheid and in that in that time you get his just humor there's just a lot of humor there's a lot of um things that are funny that are tragic mm. but the way that he tells it is hilarious mm -hmm. and that's also so much like life in that there are so many just messed up things that happen to you that when you tell it back or like it was a bad story but the way you tell it back is like really funny yeah. um so i think there was that element to it as well and then there was a lot of it that just was really moving um the yeah that makes you that's like is really moving um and makes you teary and whatnot um mm. so i think the balance of the book that it manages to draw all of these things into one mm. um book it, it yeah it really it really amazed me to be honest just the 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 level and the waves of different emotions that come with reading this book yeah i would say i i would agree with both of you really i enjoyed it for those very same reasons um and i felt like that with the balance he really knew how to make apartheid sound really dumb mm. yeah like it's principle it's basis to it mm. it was just so dumb and you would laugh but in with the whole um his experiences he he wrote it like it was some sort of like beautiful struggle he didn't glorify like oh yeah everyone should should have been in apartheid because it was lit because it was hard but at the same time um i could find like the strength that him and his mother had during that time yeah. that it was endurable did you get what i mean yeah so i did enjoy that aspect of the book um, and I learned a lot of life lessons from it. You know? <laughs> I can't lie. It was, um, he had a lot of um, experiences that you could draw more of the stories from. So, yeah. yeah, I enjoyed it for those things. All right, let's go on to our, our first theme. So with, with family. Now, with this book, you can definitely see that with Trevor, um, his family did play an integral part in him being who he was to that day. You see it more so with his mom, which we're going to discuss later on. Mm. Um, but it was, I, I felt like there was this, um, they lived by the principle of it takes a, a village to um, groom a child. Mm. So let's say when he was, <laughs> when he lived in the hood, which his mom hated when he was chilling with all the, like, the roadmen of South Africa, let's say, um, there was still this sense of community where people looked out for each other. Yeah. So if someone was, was, um, was in a financially difficult time they would all pitch in and help them like mm. buy their bread or milk um, and even doing favors for like your next door neighbor's mother if they needed someone to go and fetch the bread from the corner shop then you would go and do it too mm. it's like your aunties were also like your mothers in some kind of way as well yeah. so um it was nice to see that in in spite of them being in this difficult time they were able to um hold like, there was this sense of unity that they were looking after each other. Yeah, yeah. Which I really liked. What about you guys? What did you think about the, the concept of family with this book? Um, I thought it was... It, so him and his mum... Are we, we going to get to him and his mum specifically later? Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, so but you could touch on it. I don't want to... <laughs> I feel like if I touch on it, I'm going to, like, immerse myself in oh, it. Right. Um, but... Yeah, so I thought it was also interesting just the context of him being mixed race mm. um, and how his black, like all the black people in his family responded to that. Mm. That was that was something that I thought was just really um, 
a lot of it was funny, but then I can imagine as well kind of growing up in that and not just for him, but other family members as well, just that kind of dynamic. So um, you read the book and he's he's pretty much says, you know, I was a terror as a child because mm. I used to get away with so much and whatever. Um, but, you know, his, there's one point, I can't remember what it is that happened, but his... his his grandmother is just like, oh, I can't deal with, yeah. I can't <laughs> deal with you, Trevor. And, um, and yeah, and and she says to to Trevor's mom that she doesn't know how to hit a white child. That was so true. And <laughs> that that bit, I was like, I was just, I didn't know, I didn't know whether to laugh or to be angry or to be frustrated because it was just kind of, I don't know, it. it it's these these are the kind of stories that I think are really important that help you to sort of see the kind of the power of apartheid or mm. you see how entrenched it was and how much of a problem because your own grandchild is mixed race mm. and that like that means that you can't discipline them because they've got white blood in them and yeah. so it, it it's just it shows that and I thought that was really quite interesting um like within the family, because I think when you you the more he kind of breaks down um, race and whatever, mm-hmm. um, all the other things kind of make not make sense, but you see it you more. You can put it together. Yeah, but when he when that kind of happened, and so that that those kinds of relationships and just what he used to get away with because yeah he was mixed race mm-hmm. um, was yeah that that I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So sorry. No, <laughs> I was gonna say when I was when I got ready to read the book, I kind of had a preconception that okay, he's mixed race. He must just come from like a broken home. His parents are split up, but he actually did have a loving family, even though his race kind of or his mixed race kind of. I don't. I don't want to say like it weirded them out, but it just it changed the way they related to him. Like he was never saying. seen before. Mm. Yeah, he wasn't coloured, yeah. and people didn't like <laughs> when the albinos that um, he wasn't Albino. I don't know if I picked that from the book mm-hmm. or the documentary I watched recently, but he used to fake that he was Albino. <laughs> I think that's the documentary. What? What? <laughs> okay, well, he used to fake he was Albino, but it just it just goes... And they and they didn't know that he wasn't Albino. Like, he's mm-hmm. never been seen before. Like, what Trevor was was, was, mm-hmm. was a bit of an enigma, but he still had a family and they still mm-hmm. did really try for him. Like, he always mentions a cousin, his grandma, his yeah. mum. And even though he, he was estranged from his father at some point, he, he did have a relationship with his father. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's just nice to see how his family still managed to raise him yeah. mm-hmm. through those difficulties. Um, I wrote in my notes, plot twist. <laughs> because I just wanted to pick, like, do you think if he was raised in a white family or he had more of a relationship with his white family, what do you think would have been different in his life? So I think a major part of his success is that he knows how to work hard and he believes in himself genuinely. If he grew up seeing more of white South Africa or maybe in Europe, do you think he'd still have that love and support from his family? What if he still had his mum? With him, let's like, say, like, you're still close to his mum. The roles reversed in that his dad was more of a parent than his mum was, and he just saw his mum mm. on the weekends <clears throat> or from a distance. So, I think one of the things that I picked up as I guess key to who Trevor is, um, and who he became is 
the importance, and I think it's shown through his ability to speak so many languages, um, but in essence, he was a chameleon in that he was able to spend time with colored folk because he spoke Afrikaans and he looked mm -hmm. like them, and he could be around colored folk. He also knew how to be around white folk, and he mm -hmm. knew that side of it as well. And he also, because he spoke um, Hosa and mm. um, like other kind of the other regional languages as well, he was able to be around black folks. So they'd see him, like the story of when he's about to get robbed. Um, <laughs> and they're talking about robbing him behind him. And he goes, he turns around and in their language, he's like, look guys, don't like, let's, we shouldn't rob me right now. And and they're all surprised because they they, they think he's this colored kid or mm -hmm. this white kid. Um, and so they're like, oh, we didn't know you were one of us. And they apologize and they kind of just move on. Mm -hmm. But his ability to, um, to understand many different people. Mm -hmm. um, I think he learned that from very young because he had to, he didn't automatically have somewhere that he belonged. So when you look at the way he describes South Africa is very much like, if you look this way, you stick around and you, you have mm -hmm. your communities. And mm -hmm. he was already like very capable. And because he learned a lot of that from his mom as well, yeah. um, she wasn't gonna just stick to these restrictions that were placed on her. Um, he learned that and he also kind of learned how to move between mm. different groups of people and I think if he had grown up more so with white South Africa mm. and everything that you see there is is they're not about mixing in yeah. so um, that's not the way that South Africa has been designed, it's not designed for white people to mix, it's designed to keep everything that's other out mm. from our spaces and we'll use them and whatever um, so I think if he had grown up with his white side of the family, that need um, and that desire to feel like that kind of to know other people, um, I don't think it would have existed so much. And I think that's what takes him forward in mm -hmm. a lot of what he does is that he's can communicate with everyone. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. I think that's touching on what you said about his mother, like she gave him the confidence to be able to do that because mm -hmm. she challenged him in ways mm -hmm. where, when he was being complacent and she made him um, know from a very early age that irrespective of how you are perceived by others, like you can still mingle with whoever and, and wherever you would like to go. Like you don't have to be restricted by these laws. They, they were both rebels, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, and so if from, we did get like a... a um, a slight um, am I right? We did get to meet the dad. Yeah, when he mm -hmm. went to go meet his, his dad when he was like in his early 20s we got an idea of who his dad was and um, he was the complete opposite to his <laughs> mum. Mm. In some ways I think he was quite daring as well to go away with her and like to bring about Trevor. She, he yeah. has to be a bit daring too, but even in his business as well, he wanted to open, I think, a restaurant yeah. or a bar that yeah. everybody yeah. could come yeah. to. So um, maybe he could have added to that too if Trevor um, grew up with him. But um, I don't know. Just because we weren't exposed to enough of who he was as a person, mm. I don't know if Trevor would have turned out the same mm. way. Okay. Do you, what about you? Do you have any thoughts on that? No, I just like to see what people think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, well, let's talk about women and matriarchy. Who run the world? Girls, who run the world? So, women are lit. 
That's my first point. Women <laughs> 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 yeah, are lit. Um, I I really found it. Re- I, I found it empowering to continuously see that point that his mum made that I chose to have you. Mm. I mean, people do choose to open up their legs and have kids. I get that, but sometimes it's accidental. Or if you're in a place like America and you want to keep like unwanted pregnancies because of laws like Trump, um, like it's, I think with the with the power of her making that decision to like I wanted you, Trevor, despite the circumstances that we were in, was just very empowering. And there was this um, YouTube clip of Chimamanda and Trevor. They were at this Penn World Voices Festival. Mm-hmm. And she was saying from a, like a feminist point of view, it was really beautiful to hear that and empowering to hear that your mom continuously said that she chose you. And um, yeah, I really liked that part. I just She just sounded like a phenomenal woman. And I think all mothers are, mm. but she sounded extra special. Yeah. I love you, mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Trevor's mm. mom was a unique character. Mm. Um, even the way she dealt with her shooting, I was like, this woman is nuts about Jesus, her life insurance. What is she on? <laughs> her medical insurance. But so I actually asked um Jay what theme we should add and he said women. And I was I was mm-hmm. like, of course, why didn't I think of it myself? And it's just because I didn't piece together how influential all the women in his life mm-hmm. were. And from what was portrayed in the book, women had to step up when men were falling back. So I read that well, it's in the book as well, that the major trades were farming and mining for black people. And in, obviously, we all, well, I drink South African wine. And in Jeez. the vineyard... <laughs> Sorry, hey, I drink South I just African wanna, wine. I just want to support local businesses. That's all. Hey, ooh, <laughs> Empower okay. black business. People are drinking Golo family wine. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'm out here on South African wine. I don't know about you guys, oh my gosh, but this is, this is what I drink. I there drink are vineyards in South Africa. <laughs> That's the point I wanted to make. But they didn't even pay them money. They used to pay them in wine. So what do you do with the wine? You can't feed that to your kids. You're going to drink it. And therefore, there's a culture of alcoholism, which, I mean, if you believe that addiction is a disease, can be inherited then. Or even if just the culture of you see your dad's always smashed. Hey, what am I going to do when I'm 14, 15? I'm going to start drinking and be smashed also. Women have to be that, you know, that constant. They have to be the ones who steer people in the right direction. Other than his dad, the only other man that Trevor really speaks about is Abel, the nutcase, and his granddad, who is schizophrenic. Now, it's not to say that being schizophrenic is the same as being an alcoholic but his presence was also inconsistent and it's mm. it was the same for the relationship that his granddad had with his mother then she loved being with her dad but he wasn't always there for her whereas the women in his life did really well to just be strong and supportive and where his his grandma didn't know how to beat him she would tell her daughter i know how to discipline your child so you do it mm. at least he's not going without discipline mm. the whole time mm. So, yeah, it, it was cool to see that, um, yes, we do, in fact, run the world in Trevor Noah's life anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think, like, yeah, I, I think you read the book um, and you kind of have to go, yeah, like, black women are amazing. Um, that's kind of, yeah, uh, just reading the book, I think that's that was one big takeaway. Um, it's just the role and impact of women 
in his life, particularly his mother, um, and just, yeah, just the perspective of his mother. Um, and, you know, even when she's kind of growing up and she's she now, you know, she wants to come to the city to work. And who is it that's teaching her how to get by in work? It's the you know, the, the women who are prostitutes that, yeah. that kind of, you know, that take her in and that look after her and like, okay, like, this is how you survive. And so she's not, she's not in that career, mm. but that's who's kind of looking after her. It's those women that are sort of taking care of her and those women that are helping her navigate this world. Um, and then, you know, when she's, when she wants to have Trevor, she's, she's, she's you know, she wants, I want a child. Mm. I want your child. And she's, yeah, she's she's persuading this man. Like yeah, it's not. Yeah. She's it's like, not, give me your sperm. Yeah, <laughs> it's, she's she's like, I want to have a child with you. It's very, it's a very strange thing to read, like the whole perspective. But she's like, I would like this child, um, and I would it? like it. For me. <laughs> yeah. Can you provide me with this child? I'm going to look after it. Like you yeah. don't have to be involved. Um, yeah, and then obviously she has she has Trevor, and then. Um, the dad is like, oh, no, like, I can't just have this child yeah. in and around. Like, okay, there needs to be some kind of relationship here. But, um, and then her whole parenting kind of technique and just the way, mm. um, I think the way that she is as an individual was a huge kind of parenting thing to Trevor as well. In mm. uh, Outside of her just directly parenting Trevor in, like, means of discipline and whatever, but her whole perspective, um, I think, there's a part where she's talking, like she's where Trevor's like her mom used to just tell her mom, his mom used to just tell him the facts of life. So, mm. you know, I think when she was talking about like how she avoided rape or things like that, just like those kind of things, like were just in conversation. Um, I think just her whole perspective of like I'm gonna raise you and I'm gonna teach you things and I'm not gonna let you kind of be whatless. Mm. Um, it was really just yeah, you watch her and you're like. That's very sick. Like the letter correspondence. Yeah. I was that just was so, so hilarious. And because you can see the type of child he was as well. Like you can see he was like, you know, lippy and like mm. a problem yeah. and whatever. But you just see the way that she's still in that. Like, okay, no, we're going to write letters. And then you see the cheeky child that he was. It's like, oh no, like you don't get to shout at me yeah. when you don't <laughs> like my letter. Yeah. You have to write back too. And, and just things such as that it's just just really yeah really beautiful i think to see and to read definitely mm. and in their relationship it it highlighted unconditional love like she in anything that she did for noah be it discipline or um encouraging him to get out there and be a man like buying him uh helping him to buy a home when he moved out of mm. you know their home with her and abel um she did it all out of love even when <laughs> he was sent to prison and she bailed him out. She was like, if you don't, you don't understand that in this world that we're currently mm. in, no one loves you apart from me. And so everything mm. that I'm going to do, it's de genuinely out of love. So when I beat the hell out of you, it's because I love you too, because outside in the world, they will kill you. Mm. There isn't that, you know, that room for discipline and, and providing lessons mm. that you can take away and be a better person because of it. So, um, yeah, she was just an amazing woman. And um, I think when, when, at the end, when she got uh, shot, um, he also questioned, like, this unconditional love. Is it even possible for a child to fathom 
how to love someone unconditionally without being a parent. Mm. Because you was, I think it was around the time where he was questioning whether, oh, well, she's lived 50 good years. Like, maybe <laughs> should I pay for this and yeah. be in debt all my life? And he was questioning whether, like, would that even cross her mind? And without a doubt, she would, she threw him out of the car without even thinking, mm. just to save his life and their own. She also jumped out after after <laughs> him. It just sounds, the way that said was like, so, yeah, yeah, she dashed him out the yeah. car <laughs> still. <laughs> yeah, it's because the guy was trying to, um, the taxi driver was trying to kill him and her and her kids. And so she threw Trevor and herself out while she was holding baby Andrew, Andrew. Andrew in her arms. Um, so yeah, she was just hardcore. She loved him. Patricia Still loves him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why... So, yeah, so that's why I think it's even more... So when Abel um, beats her for the first time Mm. and then, like, is, like, physically abusive towards her, um, I think that's what then kind of also allows you to see as well as just the... I guess just the horror of that as well. So it's like mm-hmm. you, you're you reading this book and you're seeing, okay, this is like this amazing woman and she's like, quote, unquote, like she's a strong woman mm-hmm. and whatever. And she's, her whole life, like she's lived by these principles of independence. And if I'm going to do it, anything, I'm going to go and do it. Mm-hmm. And when, even when she's with Abel and he's got the business, it's when she starts to manage the business that the business begins to flourish and whatever. So like throughout this whole book, we're able to see like she's this strong, um, amazing intelligent um go get it woman um and still like she she ends up have like she suffers from domestic abuse and then her husband eventually shoots her in the head um which i think is just um like it's really heartbreaking to read about but then i also think it kind of um yeah then goes back to that point also is is like you know the onus is often asked like oh why didn't she just leave or like why why would you stay and just i think kind of showing like the correlation isn't between strength in that in those kinds of situations it just shows you like how um i guess like how horrific that situation was and just how um there's facets to love as well yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and just everything that kind of goes with that and it's just not it's never that simple that's true. All right, the last theme. This one's harsh. <laughs> Institutional racism. Because <laughs> we don't do things simply here. <laughs> Bruh, so, I mean, apartheid, the, its very existence was just to discriminate against the majority. It, it's jokes. Like, they literally crop, went, went up to their country where black people were the majority and were like, <laughs> so yeah, where you live? No, I'm taking you out. I'm going to put you in some other area. That's a shithole. homeland. Yeah, we won't even develop it. Then I'm going to move like the Dutch and they can settle there. It's, it's ridiculous. And it's only because there was this idea that, um, um, yeah, just due to racial discrimination. Like I was reading around um, the concept of race. So in sociology, it's considered as a social construct, right? Mm-hmm. And... Biologically speaking, there are a lot of like geneticists that would argue that race is meaningless in the context of biology. Okay. Mm. Because there isn't that much like genetic variation um, across races, but more so within like a population of people. I don't want to speak too much, but that's what I got from it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to read around it a bit more. I'll read around it if so you're is intrigued. A, yeah, like race is a is a social construct, um, and uh, I think it's. Tana Hisi Coates has a line mm. that um, 
Oh, Omar Bainon quotes it. Uh, racism, mm -hmm. racism isn't the child of race. Um, racism is the father of race. So it's mm -hmm. you don't get race. Mm -hmm. you, you get race because of racism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So because of people wanting to discriminate mm -hmm. and hating people that don't look like them. Mm -hmm. That's where race comes from. That's where that kind of thing mm -hmm. comes from. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And so yeah, because of that, that was like the crux that drove apartheid to do the damaging things that it did. And um, yeah, as a result of that, black people were treated very differently. They didn't have the same types of opportunities as well. Um, we saw like with Trevor's mum, she was limited in terms of career choices. So mm -hmm. I think in the end, she, was she a typewriter or she did like admin work? Typist, so yeah, she yeah. started off as a typewriter and basically she progressed to like secretary. But even but to even, that was her progression. Level, but even, the, the, but even that she was type, like this is again, like she's a very lit woman. Mm -hmm. It was yeah. even the fact is like, why are you a woman? Like, why are you typing for? Like she wasn't supposed to be doing yeah. that but she said okay i'm going to go and be typist yeah and she went and she did it and she she became a typist yeah. mm -hmm. and that opened up options for her as well mm -hmm. it definitely did the i love how I, all my comments are referring to the hood uh, from southeast london guys don't judge <laughs> <laughs> but um i've one of the key phrases that i remember him mentioning was that in the hood, it was non-discriminatory. So it didn't matter whether you were colored or black. I don't know if there were some white people there, but there wasn't this, like, there wasn't this concept of race in the same way that it was out there in the world with like, high-level entities of like, companies or the government trying to oppress you. And um, it's interesting, I suppose because they were both, that everyone at that level was kind of struggling to survive. So probably that's why they wouldn't add like another level to kind of repress you even further. Um, but in that environment, it was interesting to hear from his perspective that, um, yeah, it, it the hood itself was birthed because outside in South Africa, opportunities weren't there. So people had to create this like underworld mm. to be able to operate. And in some ways it can be argued like to how it is in the end in London, like, with boys that are, let's say, for example, aren't, um, aren't really paid enough, paid enough attention at school because they're either slow learners or like they're really um, rambunctious and like teachers don't know how to deal with it. So you, you're labeled as aggressive or you just don't try in school. And so they go to a place where, let's say, people are a lot more um, welcoming and comforting and are willing to help build them up. Maybe Gangs. not in the best way of like <laughs> trapping, but like it's a world where like you're accepted and you're not, you're, um, yeah, you're built up rather than being put down. Yeah. So that was interesting to see in the book. I think also just kind of taking on from that as well, just things that are essential to get by when you're in that environment as well. So um, you're poor and food. So they sell quarter loaves of bread or you sell like, you know, an egg, like you can buy an egg. You, that's all of this is like uh, underground or like it's not strictly legal because mm. it's you're reselling and whatever mm. and all of this kind of thing. Um, and, you know, he has a part in the book as well where he talks about like day to day, everything is kind of you've got a lot of crime. So when stuff, what was it that fell off the back of a truck and his mum, these 
oh, burgers or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. These patties, and she's got like all of these boxes of like <laughs> burger patties in the house because someone they'd fallen off the back of a truck somewhere, and someone had sold them to her. So all of these kind of businesses and engagements and and things that happen is because of the fact that you're not provided for. Um, and so because you're not provided for, you have to find a way yeah. of getting by. Um, and it's it's that kind of, it's, I guess it's the context that makes crime bad. So it's, mm. it, 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 it's relative. So, you know, stealing or, um, you know, taking stuff that falls off the back of a lorry mm. isn't so bad you know, but in a different context or whatever, or a different context is, you know, we view these things, but when you're trying to kind of get by when you're in those kind of situations, then, you know, what's right and wrong is a different, it's a different kind of relative. privilege, crime is crime. If yeah. you're yeah. not, then it might not be crime or there's like shades to criminality. Yeah. Or to so be like honest, if you murder criminal, but if you still, eh, everyone does it. Even when you say if you're privileged, crime is crime. They don't see money laundering or adding another million to your five million as crime if you're privileged, oh. you know I mean? They just okay. have different kinds of crimes yeah. that they're willing to accept. It's just yeah. about perspective. Mm. Yeah. So from the hood, you know, back of the lorry type stuff, that's just day-to-day -day living. That's how they eat. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess apartheid set that up for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I thought the whole concept of apartheid was really heartbreaking, though. And I think it horrified me that people actually went out to research yes. how to segregate yeah. everybody. And I thought, that's crazy because, okay, so with colonialism, it really is just somebody walking into your country be like, mm, we like these resources, let's cut a deal. Then they start taking the piss. Mm. And then slavery, we know, we, can't, we just can't do that today. We're not going to talk about slavery today. We know how that happened. But the concept <laughs> of apartheid, imagine the government pays these researchers. Oh my gosh, can you just go and find out how we can control all these people? There's like ugh, four different colours here. We don't know what to do. They've, they've gone out, they've researched. And if it started in 1948, that's just after the Second World War. Did they really learn anything? Mm. <laughs> they, 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 they created what they just yeah. tried to fight against. This is That's the British and the Dutch. Like They're like, oh, Hitler, you can't eradicate all the Jews. Don't but do that. But what we're going to do is we're going to cut off all the black people from society and literally cut them That's off. That's because like, of how race was viewed. Like, we were lesser than. We weren't seen as equal. We weren't lesser than when we went to fight in that Second World War. Right. I just... I. That, that whole thing of researching how to come up so with apartheid... So mad. That, that was... Ugh, it's horrible to think about. And... I used to wonder, like, you see it in different films and books, people protesting apartheid, and normally you don't see that kind of movement unless it's something really big and really drastic. So in reading this, I, be I had a better understanding of why it was so horrible mm -hmm. that this system was literally created to allow only one ethnic group mm -hmm. to succeed, and that's white people. And... Yeah, apartheid is sickening in summary. Like, I just, just, just discussing it and the thought of it and just also witnessing the lasting effect it has had mm. on South Africa. Mm -hmm. So my pastor goes on mission all over the world, really, but he goes to South Africa quite a lot. Now that I've read this book and I understand it, mm. so he, the church that he goes to mm. is a colored church that mm. he goes to, colored. Uh, it feels weird to say it because mm. <laughs> we don't say that. It's a color church. So everybody there is like mixed race. Mm -hmm. And he said when he first started going there, no other races went. So this is probably like mid-90s. Mm. 
So just after apartheid, nobody else went. They accepted him because they saw him as British. They didn't <laughs> see him as like a black person. Mm. He, he speaks with an English accent. Mm. And then obviously he comes in and he's like, yeah, this is racist, this is wrong. This is against Christianity, essentially. And they start integrating a bit more. People leave as a result. And this is in our lifetime. This isn't something yeah. that we just read about. You know, Trevor Noah's story isn't something historical. This is this is very recent. present day. This is very recent. Mm. Even like when his mum got shot, I was saying I watched a documentary where I got some other fun things about his life. But his mum getting shot was in the documentary. And that's on Netflix. Like this is all very recent. Mm. All this kind of stuff that's happening. And so I think that's what hurts that you can have an actual institution and legislation that allows something as horrible as apartheid to happen so recent in our history and you can you know you can abolish the laws but that doesn't change the mindset yeah. behind yeah. it so when people say oh you know the system isn't racist blah 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 actually it is because it doesn't just take you know repealing a law to eradicate that and yeah. um, it's so it's, yeah. it's just it's deep isn't it it's mad it's cuz i i watched um so there's a there was a play on the, the National Theatre. Um, it's coming back actually. Barbershop in, Chronicles. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, by Inua Elams, who's just an incredible G. Um, but yeah, have you seen it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. I need to go and see it. Yeah. So it's it's almost sold out. Like the second really? run. The, Wait, what? Yeah, the second run. Like you need to actually book All tickets. Right. Okay. Yes. So like, yes. if you're gonna go, like properly book tickets. Um, Okay, focus on porno crime. Do not geek out about. <laughs> okay, cool. But so in Barbershop Chronicles, there's this bit where he's in one of the barbershops from in South Africa. Mm -hmm. Like he's is setting. There's a different barbershops around the world. Mm -hmm. Um, but then this scene is is one in South Africa, and the South African man is talking about how after like when Mandela came out, he's he's having a go at Mandela in mm -hmm. essence, and he's talking about how there was no opportunity to let your anger back out there was no opportunity there was no punishment sort mm. of thing there was like you know apartheid was happening and like all of this kind of horrible thing that we had to experience and there was no there was no kind of there was no vengeance yeah. in a sense and he was kind of talking and he was angry at the fact that they'd never been able to get this vengeance and mm. there's there was no healing because there was no vengeance which as a concept, um, you know, linked to colonialism, mm -hmm. like going to Fanon, if you, I don't know if you've read French Fanon mm -hmm. um, and the Wretched of the Earth, but he talks about, you know, to, for the colonized mind to be emancipated, as it were, it needs to, there needs, there, there needs to be a kind of a response with the violence or the oppression that was felt by you, you need to then enact it out on those who are oppressing you. Right. Um, and so for that sense of healing, and so it's like very... So that's instrumental to be to be healed fully. Yeah, okay. and so it's kind of, I think, always, um, like when you look at things like apartheid and, mm. and like that, and I think we forget, and like, because that sounds very extreme, like we hear that and it's like, you like that sounds extreme but when you actually think about also just the kind of the damage and how deeply rooted those kinds of things become on like people and on the psyche and all of that kind of thing it's like so deep and you know when he says like apartheid was perfect racism like this mm. is something that I, I just I guess I didn't realize like how like this was a planned you know, you, you, they went and they studied yeah. the U.S. Like they were, like they sent people over to study the U.S. Like, 
go and study that. Like, okay, cool, and come back. Go study <laughs> the Netherlands. Go and study yeah. Australia and how they segregate and look after de- deal with these mm. indigenous groups, and then come back. And and that's kind of that's the that's the design of it. That's what apartheid is. And also, you know, with coloured people as well, because I think it's easy for us to be in the UK and you know you've got black, white, mixed race. Mm. To be coloured is something completely different. So they've because you've got the people that have come over, the white people that have come over before, and they've been mixing for so long that you know you've got this group of people who don't really know their racial heritage mm. specifically like that. Um, so that you've got coloured people, so they're they're yeah they're coloured, and so that it's a different race in and of itself, which is something I think I didn't understand mm. until I read this book, and mm. I was like, oh, okay. So you've got, I think what it is, is like when you deep it and you see it, it's like they did this research and so now you've set up, you know, you've set up the white people, you've got the coloured people and you've Mm -hmm. got the black people and you're setting them against each other and then on top of that you have tribes within those Mm -hmm. black people and you have, okay, cool, so the the coloured people, we're going to get them, you you can become white as well which is something that he talks about in the book so that was like, i found that really <laughs> crazy like, like you have aspirations here. yeah colored people you can be white indian people you can become japanese colored. honorary white person <laughs> like it's crazy and it's just it's mad and it's all so manipulative systems of control but then it's also it's just like what does that do to a society and and because all of those things it's like what effects does that have what does that leave behind and and then he's also like Soweto as well and just like when he's you know Soweto was designed to be bombed because it's like it's literally like Mm. the way that the city is designed Mm. is so that if anything if the black people get too much out of hand or whatever Mm. we can fly over Mm. and bomb you like Uh, how can you be designed (laughs) like you're designing cities for people that it's so the most, off, like, yeah. The, the there's yeah, there's one entrance and there's one exit, um, if I'm oh, remembering so correctly. Die. And the way to and the, it's designed so that you know they can they can bomb it and to get rid of it. So you're the the place that you are sent or that you you've been mm. provided and built to live in, and kind of taken from wherever you are and put to live in or you know where the work is, mm. is a place that if push comes to shove, we can get rid of you. That's very mad. Mm. This is just very, very mad. I mean, that's why the, the effects of apartheid are perpetual. Like, I think any time you fuck with someone's mind, right, it's, it's not going to be... It's going to take years to, to ever, like, mm. to, like, re, like, remodel that frame of thinking that they've had for so many years because it becomes a learned behaviour that yeah. you kind of just yeah. teach your kids subconsciously sometimes as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Um, so this is why I want to go back on the point that you made about um, like wronging the rights so that you'll be fully healed in mm-hmm. some sense. So paying them back in the way that they treated you. Mm-hmm. How effective is that? Because if if you endured such a like damaging thing, I can understand you want to Oh my gosh, revenge. it's like that last scene in Hunger Games I just remembered. Remember when the, when? the lady, the old lady... Who led the rebellion? She's like, we're gonna do a Hunger Games for them. Yeah, it's the same concept, right? She, yeah, she got <laughs> killed off. Okay, <laughs> but I mean, I, I can understand why you'd want them to pay back the same way they treated you, but 
I don't know. Maybe it's because I, I, I think of it in a, in a way where what they did, I don't think was down to their race, but just more so of like a flaw in humanity. Like if the roles were reversed and black people in South Africa came to Europe and did that to, um, to yeah, the Dutch, could they do the same kind of things? With my kind of way of thinking, I think they will be equally capable of doing that too. And so when you're thinking from that kind of perspective, um, how effective is it treating people the same way that they... So I think, so um, this is what my dissertation was on. Um, this was a while ago. Um, <laughs> but so just in, in regards and if, yeah, um, this is me without having like recently like refreshed it. But it's, so it's very specific Fanon is very specifically writing about the colonial experience. Um, yeah, so he's, he's definitely talking about a specific colonial experience. Um, so there's always that to be factored into mm -hmm. it. Um, but it's the idea of if you are in this oppressed situation, the way to truly emanci emancipate yourself is by the means with which you're being oppressed. So if you're if you're being oppressed by violence um, and it, it's continued violence that you've had to suffer as your form of oppression and you're, the way that you're freed from that oppression is by maybe law, um, like there's not a, a revolution, there's not a fight back that you, you have to win back to, to gain your freedom. Um, there's, I think the, the idea is then that you're not, fully emancipated mm. so there's still there's still going to be a lot that you have to deal with like it's not just you're not then free just because the laws have changed or you're not then free just because the violence is no longer being enacted out mm. on you as it were um and i think it's a very doesn't that make it just a vicious cycle though i think it as as an idea and as something i don't i don't I don't think we'll ever know if it if it works because I don't think there's any ex I don't know of any examples of of that mm. or I can't draw yeah. on them at the moment um and I think when you do look at um because we're living with the effects of colonialism now yeah. like all of the the countries and I think you know when you look at um you know even even when people like Haiti for example they were paying off debt to the French into like you know our, the the lifetimes of our grandparents like this is this is what i try and think of it like is like my grandma a person that i can see now was alive when x y and z was happening so mm -hmm. it it brings it home so these things are very recent um this is all happening very recently um and so when you think about it we're now living with the effects of colonialism we can't really make a statement of how a society heals from colonialism mm -hmm. because we can look at it now and we can think that a community or a society is doing better mm -hmm. or whatever, mm -hmm. but you're still in very early stages of recovering from this thing. You, mm. How long does it take to recover from colonialism? Yeah. Like how, yeah. because these, these, these great nations and these great states and these great, um, you know, if we're talking about African kingdoms, or what they were or what the society used to look like, 
it, does it change? Is it when, because these land borders and these countries, the, the, the way that the land has been divided up, these aren't natural things. So all of these sort of things in terms of like, what? how do we know? Like, how do we know when we've moved past, like we're in a stage where we've recovered from or where, you know, that kind of, like, how do we even decide? Mm, because yeah. we're still living in that kind of, time zone because I think we look and we think like colonialism was a long time ago or we look and we think like racism or civil the civil rights or all of these kinds of things we think mm. they were a long time ago mm. um but I feel like anything that could have been in your grandparents like your grandparents could have been alive for um that's not <laughs> that's not a long yeah. time yeah, yeah. um so anything like un- like a hundred years is not a long time no like for a for a society, a hundred years is not a long time, mm. and so these are the kind of time frames that we're dealing with. So it's it's very it's very scary, and I think that's what the thing about South Africa is is like the narrative. And I think because we're in the West, the narrative is that apartheid was a long time ago, and we kind of try and talk about it like it's this thing that happened ages ago but you know you see from the way that Trevor is growing up and you see from the way that everything is and how he's dealing with things is that he's very much growing up with the consequences of apartheid and everything that kind of there and you look at loads of different things you see what he's having to grow up with um and it's a really powerful story to kind of read about um and I guess remove a lot of your ignorance and your naivety when you read it and you're like, oh, wow, okay, cool. Um, yeah. Mind blown. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> I feel like I need to do more research on this. I think we, we should all be encouraged to. Boom. Okay. All right. <laughs> Did you want to add anything else? No, not really. Okay, let's go on to our style and technique um, of the book. So I... I really like the fact that the morality act was placed at the very beginning of the book because it set the tone. I was like, okay, this is the world that he was in. This it vexed is how me so worked. much when I read that. It, it vexed you? Yeah, because <laughs> I did law. Uh-huh. It just, I was like, why am I reading a, such a horrible statue? Like, it, it, it felt too real. Mm. And I hated that. Mm. I mean, yeah, what it was saying was terrible. But I think for the from the perspective of the reader, having that at the very beginning, you knew what sets the tone Mm -hmm. for the book. And you could put things into into context very quickly as well. 1927. Um, It was in 1927? It's not 100 years ago. Imagine. Like, it's not yet 100 years. So, like, it wouldn't be crazy to think that maybe there's someone alive Ah. born before this this was enacted. Oh my gosh, and they'd have had to live through it. Well, anyway, let me not get distracted. We're talking about style and technique. Sorry, <laughs> my, bad. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, and again, yeah, I really liked how Trevor could um, educate me while adding a bit of like jokes and banter. That kept me going. I'm the kind of, I like to laugh all the days of my life. So if you can get me to do that whilst I'm reading, <laughs> then you're my kind of person. Um, and then what I touched upon earlier about what I liked about the book is also relevant to this section where 
he provided like a lot of lessons to his life experiences. So there was one example of Fufi, you know, his dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was another colored boy that um, I think the dog was staying with sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And um, Trevor was, in the end, Trevor got the dog back, but he was upset that this dog loved another colored boy. And for Trevor, in that moment, he realized like, you don't own, just because you love someone, it doesn't mean that you own them. Yeah. So I was clicking my fingers like, <laughs> <laughs> It's true. Like, I mean, there is that sense of like loyalty and belonging. You're like, if someone, if you love something, it belongs to you. But mm. yeah, it opened like this kind of worms that I could think about a lot more deeply. So I enjoyed the, exp- the lessons that I got from the book. And um, him being able to address um, issues from like the perspective of someone from, yeah, well, from a, him being the less privileged person. So with the concept of the hood and them doing criminal stuff, I could understand. But then he also made it, um, painted it in such a way where they had to do that to survive because you can readily just say that this is wrong when you're not into when you're not in that situation yourself. So it was good to see it from a different type of perspective. Yeah. I'm done. My turn. <laughs> I've written obviously it was hilarious. <laughs> I d- <laughs> I did think it, it was a really funny read. It was a very easy read as well. Um, Tell them how long it took you to read the book. Less than a week, and I'm a slow Jeez. reader. Guys. No, but I'm a slow reader. <laughs> I won't confess which well. books, but there are some books that <laughs> 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 oh, all on my beautiful bookcase. But yeah, I think it was a very easy read. The only critique, and I don't, I don't, wouldn't even call it a critique. It's just a style I'm not used to. It was very chatty. And sometimes it was like I was listening to him do his stand-up routine mm-hmm. rather than reading a book. So mm-hmm. maybe I'm just a bit of a diva. I'm a bit pompous when it comes to my reading and I mm-hmm. just want big words, mm-hmm. long sentences. But it, it, I guess it was good at times because it, it, it helped with storytelling. So you couldn't really stop to be like, oh, what does that word mean? No, you stick with the story the whole way through when he's trying to tell you a story. But then other times I'm just like, am I reading a book or I'm just having a chat with Trevor Noah right now? So that was nice too, but I guess it was it was just something I really noticed. But overall, I think he did a really good job of taking light of a really serious situation mm. um, that is apartheid. And I think that definitely requires skill. I've I've already said that I think humor is genetic <laughs> for black people but <laughs> I, I stand though. by that you're not funny you're oh, rude because you laugh you laugh when i bust joke sometimes that's, that's hmm. mad mad domestics happening you know what right now. now you'll have your time innit? you'll have your time <laughs> but yeah i think he he did a really good job of not making us focus on the negativity so mm. much and actually just wanting to hear his story so yeah it was it was written quite well i can see why it was published (laughs) um i thought i think when you read the book you understand why it's written in the way that it's written Mm. and i think it's because um throughout the book you see how he is accessible to all different types of people in south africa he speaks so many different languages um he can go into any space in south africa and he can exist um, he knows how to talk to all levels of people, um, in essence. And I think when you read the book, it is a book that... So I was reading the book, um, 
And my mom was like, oh, I wanted to read that. Um, and so she, like, she took it out of my hands when it came. Um, and she was <laughs> like, she, my mom is jarring. She's the kind of person that reads the last page of a book to know that oh. if she's like, I can't stand it. Um, <laughs> but so she just opened the book on a random page and started reading. Um, and like I'd gone upstairs and I came downstairs and she was like, this is a good book. And she was like, because like, I was reading it in just a random page and I was just really, really enjoying it. Um, and so I think it's really accessible to whoever. Like mm. you pick up the book, you're able to read it because it is like you're in conversation with this person. It is like at points that you're watching, it's more like you're watching something. Mm. Um with the description and the, the kind of the narrative. Um, I think sometimes you read books and you aren't seeing the book. You're reading the book or you're seeing aspects of it and there's images being created in your head, but they're not so vivid mm -hmm. um, and you're filling in a lot of it. Whereas I feel like when you read this because of the colloquialism of it sometimes as well and the use of language and whatever, you really do feel like your place somewhere. Um, and I think that's a really powerful thing about the style of the book and just the way that yes it's funny um but i don't ever feel like like from the conversations we've had we're all we're all like yeah we've we now realize a lot more how mm. deep and how just sickening apartheid was yeah. and is um and and just the effects of it and just yeah. did it and we we're, we're we're grasping the seriousness of that but all of us barely laughed at the book. All of us were laughing. Yeah. Like, all of us found things hilarious. Mm -hmm. um, and he did that without taking away from the seriousness yeah. of the situation. Yeah. But what he also did, and there's a poem, and I can't remember who wrote the poem. I know someone wrote a poem after that poem, and I can't remember which one of my friends it is that <laughs> loves that poem. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's a poem about um, where this author is just... Is it Tanya? someone wrote a poem after it um, where the author is talking about how, yeah, okay, I grew up in poverty, um, but I don't ever want you to kind of not know that this was a very loving environment, that, like, my mom looked after us and, okay, like, yeah, we only had one room, but, like, my childhood was very lit. Like, I really enjoyed my childhood and I loved it. And, yes, like, it was poverty and, yes, it was suffering, but... I loved it, like, so I don't want you to, like, look down on me. And I think you get that kind of, that same kind of sense from this book as well, is that, like, yes, this environment is messed up, it's very hard, but at the same time, there was so much joy in my childhood and there was so much joy, so don't pity me sort yeah. of thing. And I think that's the strength of of the technique and of the, of the style um, and how he's written it, mm. which I think is important because I think we can see poverty and we can think like, oh, poor you. And mm. like, you can't live a joyful life or like people don't have to live a joyful life and like have to find some meaning yeah. and, and joy and purpose. At one point I was reading regardless. a book and I wanted the same childhood. <laughs> I wanted to live in that hood where they yeah, did all the sounded, DJing. I was like, oh my nice. gosh, right? I want to party with them <laughs> yeah. on the weekend. That is true. He heard a lot of strength from it. Okay, let's go to best bits and worst bits. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite bit, page seven. <laughs> Sorry, just think about it, it makes me laugh. When they were in the taxi and the taxi driver switched and Patricia could tell that he was probably going to kill them. And so they get to the traffic light and she pushes Trevor out. But the way Trevor describes it, 
my God, as if to say, like, the whole day had been a drag. And now this. And they're running, they're running. Then they get to, like, a petrol station and they're safe. And he's like, why did you push me? Like, he's fighting, even though she's just saved his life. <laughs> and then she's like, they were going to kill us, Trevor. And he's like, well, at least they would have woken me up before they killed me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was dying. I was on the bus. I was creeping. Because, <laughs> because it's just so dumb. Like, really and truly, that's what he's thinking about at that but time. it makes so much sense. Exactly. Well. <laughs> because I think of times when I'm sleeping, I just don't want anyone to touch me. But more, even more so, like push you out of the taxi and then <laughs> he immediately made reference to how quickly his mu- he and his mum run yeah. and he's like oh this guy didn't know what he was dealing with because he was um, you know he was dealing with the five time champions of the Maryville blah 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 <laughs> like he made yeah. reference to it ju- immediately and I could envision it because he'd made jokes about how he and his mum <laughs> used to run around mm-hmm. and even though it was a serious situation it was like nah nothing can touch us right now mm-hmm. so that was <laughs> hilarious um, my worst bit was that dickhead Abel. <laughs> wow. No, he, he's a big dickhead. He is because he let his ego destroy his family. Essentially, mm. we can talk on that later. DM me if you want. <laughs> but reading that he was never arrested mm. for shooting Patricia, I just thought this is crazy. You didn't shoot her in the toe. <laughs> you didn't shoot her arm. You shot her in the head. If that's not attempted murder, I don't know what is. He shot her in the head and. Already I was irritated that no one took her seriously when she actually reported him to the police. Because mm. So we were talking about kind of domestic violence earlier. And it's one thing to leave someone. But it's, it's still brave to go to the police and say, I have been assaulted. Yeah. Can you sort this out for me? And they're just like, oh, go home and talk to your husband about it. Or are you sure you want to do this? Yes, I want to do this. He's beating me up. And, you know, she has children. They're all in danger as well. And just the fact that she was never taken seriously even to the point that she was shot in the head twice. Mm. He's walking around as a mechanic in South Africa now. Like, he's living his life. And I was just so angry for her. Other victims of domestic abuse, her children had to watch her being shot by their father. <laughs> that's a head fuck. Like, yeah, if I, I a that's a lot to, to experience. And for Trevor to literally have to come in and save her, because she decided she didn't need medical insurance. But, you know, I just thought the system failed her, that the police didn't yeah. actually do anything about it. And at this time, the you can't even blame the white people because this is mm. after apartheid has ended and there's a lot more emancipation. And I think, I don't remember what it was that was telling that the police officers were black when she first went to complain, but you could just tell that they mm. were. I think either she was speaking the language or something. Well, mm. I was just like... There's actually nobody to blame this on. You guys are you guys are not doing well. But it's also like I think one of the things that struck me in the book is that, you know, he remembers being told like, oh, you don't love your woman unless you beat her. Like, mm. and so there's this, in you know, when 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 the mum and they do go after she's been struck, like, <clears throat> you know, they they're like, oh, are you sure you 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 wanna. Like, are you sure you want to do this? Just go home. Like, just once you sit on it and you think about it, you'll realise you really don't want to report that. And then, <laughs> you know, when the mother, when she yeah. goes to her own mother, um, it's her that persuades her to go back to Abel. So it's when she goes back to her mum and her family. Um, they're the ones that persuade her. And she talks about her grandmother. Trevor's grandmother talks about when her husband hit her for the first time and, mm. and whatever. And so it's like... Yeah, it's just kind of that whole um, 
yeah, this patriarchy, this this the way this way isn't just you know, it's it's everyone. Everyone kind of contributes to this. Um, everyone has been kind of yeah, like what do you do sort of thing. So you, everyone allows, everyone feeds into, um, everyone's been not accosted, has been um, accustomed? Appropriate. Um, you, when you've been kind of when you've been roped into something against your will almost. So it's mm-hmm. like the, the grandmother, I can imagine the first time she was hit by her husband was very like, would, wouldn't have, condo- didn't want to condone it, didn't mm-hmm. want to stand mm-hmm. for it. it. I imagine before she's married, okay, she would know. never have condoned a man hitting a woman or a man hitting his wife. Um, and then she gets to the point where she's persuading her daughter to go back to a man just just beat her so like you i I don't think that's something you just kind of start with Mm. that's something that's like i can't find the word for it but it's something that permeates into your very being and it's something that's forced into your being um it's something that conspires against you um and just the power of that um it's very like yeah it's a lot when you're reading it you're like Mm. damn just like damn what was your best and worst bit then? Ah, my best bit. Um, so I'm not going to say one in it because I'm the guest. I don't have to play by the rules. Um, <laughs> so, so the whole story when, so he's at home and he's like taking a dump on, like he doesn't want to go outside because he doesn't want to use the toilet outside. So he's like, he's sitting there. And, you know, he's taking a dump in newspaper and then he realises that his blind grandmother is behind him. And she's, she's calling out, like, who's there? What's going on? So, she should, so he's there, like, taking the slowest dump of his life. <laughs> Just, like, there. And, like, you know, he finishes, he wraps it. And then I was like, you really threw it in the bin. That's what as I soon as he well, did that, when he put it in the I was bin, like, I was like, you should have re- at least gone to the other toilet and thrown it there. Like, yeah. Dash the thing outside, oh, man. Yeah. Like I was like, okay, cool. I was like, uh, we know that something's gonna go down, and then like everyone kind of comes back in, and the grandmother's like, oh, someone was in the house, <laughs> and then they're like, what's that smell? And then his mom finds it, and is like, oh my gosh, someone's cursed them, and so like the whole village is now here <laughs> doing prayers because yeah. of this in the bin, and he's just there like proper guilty, and he's you know known before as the prayer champion, and then so like they yeah. call him out to pray, and he does this prayer, and he's like, oh, don't be too harsh in case it was an accident. <laughs> I was like, oh, that whole section, I was crying tears, and mm. then but the way that he ended it was just like so powerful because he then goes and he's like you know he he ends it and he's praying and he's like i'm sorry god like i know you've got better things like i know you have lots to deal with and you've got better things to do than deal with my shit and that i was just like that as a whole like just as a statement and as a thing of himself and it's like yes you've got better things to deal with than you know this turd that i put in a bin but like also me and my problems as well and is it like do i matter before god or do i not matter before god and like just that whole kind of and you know throughout the book you see him kind of battling with his mom 
being like really religious and like really faithful and him kind of always trying to kind of joke and get out of it. Mm. Um, so I thought that whole, the way that whole story was constructed and told was just like one of my favorite bits of storytelling. Um, I thought it was beautiful. Mm. Um, and then just the end of the book as well was another mm. favorite bit, the way it ended where the mom was like, um, God didn't pay the hospital bill where he was like, yeah, your God didn't pay the hospital bill, did you? And she was like, no, he didn't, but he provided me with a son that could. And I was just like, oh, yeah. the I just, oh, I was, yeah, my oh, my chest, I was just, I was like, oh my gosh. Like that was, that was just a really beautiful ending to the book. Um, so that was, yeah, that was two in it, but those were like my favorite bits. Um, and then my worst bit was um, just when Trevor, when Trevor goes to see Andrew, um, and like, so yeah, so this also this is why I loved it because like when when Andrew calls and like he's like, how are you? I was like, yeah, and then it's my in the head. I was like, my shot, and he's like, maybe he's Andrew just polite. Was, maybe it's just basic no, phone etiquette. I don't know, Hi, but, how are you? Oh, by the way, he was, he was firming his emotions. I think yeah, that's why he was but it's, it's that disconnect. But like when you first read, I was I was I was just like. I was laughing because I was like, who says, how are you before? And like, I can see why Trevor was so like, and she's like, okay, first of all, what kind of human being says, how yeah, are you? How are you? about me. And like, they're all like, what? Yeah. Um, and like, he was so calm. And then, but seeing, you know, as soon as Trevor gets there, you can see, you know, he's calm. He's driven his mum to the hospital. His mum been shot in the head. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's had to climb over his mum and move his mum into the passenger seat. Mm-hmm. And he's now had to drive off. His mom's been shot in the head by his dad. He's holding it together. He's got his yeah. mom in the ER. He's, in essence, he's he's a child. I think he's a teenager. Mm. He could be 19, but whatever. Okay, so you're a young man or you're a child mm. who's having to kind of deal with this. You've got no emotional support. Your little brother is still with the man that just yeah. killed mm. your mom. Um, and, you know, he, he doesn't have anyone. And then Trevor comes along and just seeing him like break down mm. and just be like yeah just break down um and yeah that was very kind of mad and i think you know trevor acknowledges it is like yeah okay cool I, like abel was a prick and i didn't like him and he shot my mom but he was a man that i'd never liked because mm. you know he says at first i didn't i didn't want you to marry him like mm. when she first said it um and but you know that's andrew's dad that's your own dad mm. um that and and having to think how he has to deal with that and how he has to process that in his own life and existence um and then yeah uh when abel told trevor like when trevor called abel and abel mm. was like yeah i want to kill you too um or i would have killed you too one of those things but just that like you've just called this man after he shot your mum. <laughs> and there's no remorse. He's like, yeah, I want you yeah. dead as well. Mad, like, just mad. Um, and then when Abel... Um, yeah, so Isaac is a child, he's a toddler, and he's like, Daddy, why did you shoot? Like, why did you kill mummy? Like, like, and then, yeah, then Abel's telling him that, you know, I have to, I'm going to go and kill myself. Um, and Isaac's like, no, Daddy, don't kill yourself as well. And it's just this, like casual talks uh, about something so deep. <laughs> yeah, it was just yeah, that was just the just a horrible Yeah. Yeah, that was the worst bit of the book for me in terms of just 
yeah, just reading that and just the emotional. Mm. I want to yeah. reread the book now. So, um, <laughs> my friend, who when he first recommended it to me, recommended, I don't know if you lot plug things in it, so we'll say on a, a very popular um, audiobook site, it was yeah. like they have like a free trial where you get the first book, you get free or something. And he was oh, like... Yeah, for three months. Yeah, or something. I don't know. I, yeah, whatever. Um, and so he was saying like to read it, to um, listen to it, because Trevor Noah reads it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that's what I wanted. And he was talking about when he's speaking in different languages as well, you can hear mm-hmm. how it's supposed to sound. And da, 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 da. So I think what I might do is listen to it mm, next so um yeah because i really enjoyed reading it um but that's been in the back of my mind as i've been reading it is that he said like oh you should yeah. listen to it as well because it's a different dimension and you get to hear his mm. voice and stuff so mm. that might be something that i do because mm-hmm. i do want to read it again yeah. as well what's bit what's bit uh my best part was um, when Trevor uh, Trevor had this DJ set and he invited his friend Hitler to perform <laughs> at can you, a can Jewish you, school. Can you explain? Context, can you explain the context of why this, this person is called Hitler and just how how they <laughs> because, get names like that? Because as well. South Africans were given powerful names and so they did. They were taught about Holocaust, but it wasn't to the same. I don't think they understood the severity of. The same way we don't learn about Africa in this country. Like Cecil they Rhodes don't learn or whatever, about yeah. <laughs> the Holocaust yes. out there. So they probably knew like he was a bad man, but he wasn't the worst. Like there was something that was said in the book which was really interesting. They knew he was the one that challenged the mm. white the British and the Dutch. So they saw him as somebody so Kay. powerful. So a hero he was challenging their challenger. Mm. So this little boy unfortunately was called Hitler. <laughs> and they went to go and perform at a Jewish school and so, so like, Hitler, Hitler is the champion dancer as well yeah. by the way so he, Hitler is the guy that they save because he comes to like to bad the thing up yeah literally so so the whole set is around <laughs> Hitler coming out yeah them announcing yeah so D, um, so Trevor's their DJ and then he like here comes Hitler <laughs> So Hitler comes in a crip walk and popping a lock in. This is what I'm imagining, right? Yeah. And they're like, go Hitler. Go Hitler. Go Hitler. At a Jewish school. So the teachers were like floored. They were like, what the flip? Like, what, what are you doing? Can you, this is offensive on all grounds. Stop. And at the end of it, they thought they were being racist. So Trevor and Hitler thought the teachers were being racist towards them. They didn't really actually deep that, no, it's because your friend's name's called Hitler. You guys are at a Jewish school. Go Hitler. Yeah. Go Hitler. So I just, I mean, if I was there, it would have been cringy. But just in hindsight, like, it makes for a really good story. So I was, I was it's such a real story, creasing though. throughout all of that. Um, my worst part, well, this is just me being jealous. Like, you know the back and forth correspondence with his mother? Oh. I'm upset I didn't do that in my childhood years. No. So, do you know the that's why I got to that? My mum chilling in my room, yeah. in my armchair, reading my diary when I was like eight. And I was like, oh, okay, these are the respect levels of the house. <laughs> wow. There are no respect levels. You know, like when you're young, it's like, yeah, dear daddy, I would like hate that. No, and my mum was reading it like a storybook. Wow. At least do it behind closed doors. Don't let me see. Your auntie doesn't respect. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm just upset I didn't think of that. I hope, like, my future kids one day will be as funny as Trevor and we can do that. That'll be jokes. Um, But um, my real worst part, or just the saddest part, was when um, Trevor's CD pirating business just got everything was luck off. Yeah, Yeah. because the Fed shot is... Yeah. 
so shot it so that he wouldn't even be able to continue his business at, at all. And um, that was his like mainstream of income. And he was doing really well. Like mm-hmm. he was blowing up. Um, and yeah, it was just some, it, as, even though it was illegal, I, I wanted him to survive. And so I was, I was like, yeah, go travel with your CD business. Mm-hmm. So that was sad how that, that ended. But end of yeah. the podcast, please. We're at the end. We're finished now. Yeah. Anything else to talk about? <laughs> 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 Institutional racism. <laughs> no, just a bit. Um, sorry, like that was hilarious when he was robbing at the supermarket, the mall with his friend. And, yeah. And then, like, they ducked out, and the friend didn't follow him, and he oh. got away. And then they're looking on camera, and like they think who's this that white it's guy? this yeah. white kid. <laughs> And he's just like living life because of how he comes up yeah. on a black and white screen. I Listen, yeah, take that up. white privilege whilst you can. Man, it doesn't come is. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you guys for listening, though. And thank you so much for joining us, Sugar thank you for It's been me. fun. Yeah, I've had yeah. a lot of fun yeah. today. Thank and you. I just have, I feel like I have so much more learning to do. Yeah. Exciting times. So, yeah, discuss with us online at the Sunker for BC on Twitter. The Sankofa dot BC on Instagram um, forward slash the Sankofa BC Facebook. Like, comment, share, subscribe, follow, rate, follow them. comment, everything. Just show us love. All of it. Or banter. <laughs> or hate it. if you're a bad man. Yeah. Wow, you're awesome. I'm ready for it. She's I, I'm always, always ready for, for a Twitter always fight. Asking. I always, I always, I just want to be part you of want Twitter haters, beef. Yeah. I just want to be part of Twitter beef. Mm. I want, you know, like Twitter has this feature where you can create a moment. Yeah. You I want a moment. You really don't. Like, <laughs> Why have you gone through? Ooh, ooh, sounds like you've no, had I've not. I've not had. Um, no, I've not had Twitter beef. But like, I've, well, I've had people like cuss me out on Twitter and stuff. Oh, before. why? You're a nice guy. Um, d- yeah, because I was on TV. Like, I've had <laughs> <laughs> had some people. So wait, they found you and cussed you out. Yeah, like I've had people be like, "I hate your poem." Um, I've had people write your own then, <laughs> dickhead. There was one. <laughs> there was one person that um, tweeted me a poem telling me um, all about myself in some very colourful language um, and about how my poem was bad. And I was like, <laughs> in the form of a poem. Yeah, I was like, in 140 characters, I was like, you know what? Like, oh, I appreciate the good? creativity. <laughs> it was alright. Still, it was a bit too, you know, like couple c words in there i was like yeah I'm, wow. not real, I'm not really here for that but i was like i appreciate that but you're getting blocked <laughs> because life um but yeah like i i i wouldn't cover beef okay i don't twitter. want twitter beef <laughs> yeah, i'm not ready for that and right. i don't want twitter beef i just want um healthy discussions <laughs> and you're allowed to have opinions different to ours okay <laughs> But please don't use the C word <laughs> or any other colourful language. Thank you. You can also subscribe to our newsletter. <laughs> wow. Link is in the description. There will be no beef in the newsletter yet as well. <laughs> um, where can people find you? On Twitter, I guess. Um, what are you up to? Any shows coming up? Um, yeah, so or TV I... appearances, perhaps? Uh, <laughs> God willing. Um, so I am on Twitter at SugarJPoet. Um, Instagram, SugarJPoet. Uh, I have a Facebook page too, um, SugarJPoet. Um, everything is, is Sugar J Poet, if you want to mm-hmm. find me. Um, I have a blog as well, 
which is sugarjpoet.wordpress.com. Um, yeah, so I've got poems I used to do. I did National Poetry Writing Month. I've got an article, a blog post that I did up at the moment just about writing, um, being like breathing. Um, so, yeah, so if that's interesting to you, then check it out. Um, what am I doing? I'm, oh, I'm performing this Tuesday, but this is not going to be out by then. Um, no, sorry. So, yeah, so you miss that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I have other performances maybe coming up that I don't know off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, I'm always writing stuff. Um, I'm working towards a lot of things that aren't actually yet in, in the existing world or like not yet ready to talk about. Um, so yeah, so follow me on Twitter and Instagram and keep up with me. Um, yeah. Uh, also follow, I'm in a poetry collective called Spit the Atom. Um, and I think by the time this comes out, I'll be, we'll be performing at a festival called Shuffle Festival. Um, so yeah, so keep an eye on that. So if you want to catch me, I'll be doing that. Cool. Thank you very much. Well, we've got some exciting news. Drum roll, please. In October, the Sangafo Bullock Club. <laughs> Why didn't I muffle that? <laughs> we'll be having oh, their live show. Uh, yeah, to mark our first birthday. Cheers. So more info will follow up shortly. TBC. Yeah. yeah. Um, but on to next month's book, September, we'll be reading The Se Secret Lives of Babasegi's Wives by Lola Shunayin. I'm Ghanaian, man. Allow me. Sh 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 she will ask a Yoruba friend and get back to you as to how to pronounce <laughs> exactly. Um, and we'll also be having a special guest, so keep your ears and your eyes open. And until then, guys, be blessed, keep reading, yes. enjoy life, laugh, eat, drink rum, drink Ooh, rum, drink rum. Cool, that's the I'm new one. I'm drinking rum and Red Bull. Drink it straight. Yeah. Bye, guys. It's a big tune still. <laughs> 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 <laughs>